I tried to stay away from Skynet on this one, folks. The more we know about what Google is learning and how it's learning gives us great opportunities to feed the beast. Our guide is Cindy Crumb, today on The Edge. Go! Your weekly digital marketing trends with industry trend-setting guests. Powered by your digital marketing pioneers, Site Strategics. This week's featured guest is Cindy Crumb, SEO and founder of Mobile Moxie. Now, here's your host, Aaron Sparks. This is Edge of the Web Radio. I'm your host, Aaron Sparks. Every week, we bring you some amazing guests to talk about digital marketing tactics and news. This is the interview series of our show. Make sure you check out the news series as well each and every week. On this interview series, we unpack key marketing topics for our digital marketing audience. So whether you're part of an agency, a freelancer, or part of a firm or a marketing department inside your firm, this show is for you. So check out all of the shows over at edgeofthewebradio.com. That's edgeofthewebradio.com. Uh, the title sponsor for this interview series show is Site Strategics, our parent company. We're pioneers in agile digital marketing. And our course Specialties are SEO, SEM, social media management and marketing, as well as conversion rate optimization. And on top of that, omni-channel media marketing. If you want to know what that is, give us a shout over at 877-736-4932 or just reach out to us, uh, search us online, Site Strategics or Agile Digital Marketing. You'll be able to find us around the top of the list there. Just want to let you know who will be coming up on the show over the next few episodes. We've got NQ Mark Williams-Cook. Cyrus Shepard, as well as Kevin Indig. Check out the recent shows, especially the uh, the last show of Cindy Crumb's episode one, but also check out Marie Haynes, Crystal Carter, as well as Dan Schur. We uh, finished up the end of 2022 with a, a good connection with our SEO podcasting colleague out there. If you're interested in being part of the show, drop us a line over at info at edgeofthewebradio.com. Make sure that you check out our weekly news podcast that we cover the most recent digital marketing news as well as Google updates. We're dropping it every Tuesday to help you navigate your week in digital marketing. Continued is the co-host with us. That's Morty Oberstein, head of SEO branding over at Wix. Have a great time. We crack ourselves up each and every week and hopefully we bring a little humor to your work week as well. That's housekeeping for The Edge. Now let's turn around and meet this week's industry expert guest. Let's introduce you to Cindy Crumb. She's the CEO and founder over at Mobile Moxie. Mobile Moxie was founded in 2008 and provides mobile SEO and application SEO, uh, ASEO, consulting, as well as offering a custom suite of cutting-edge online marketing, mobile marketing, and SEO tools. you got to check it out. That's, she's got a really cool uh, mobile rendering of uh, a location-based mobile rendering application. We'll talk about that in a second. She's an active member in the digital marketing and growth communities, and she's very, very passionate about mobile marketing. But there's an asterisk there. It's not just mobile from a location space or a mobile transaction. There's a, there's a, a good deal more to it. So you got to check out our previous episode where we kind of unpacked what mobile SEO is with a preamble of entity SEO and actually getting into a good deal more understanding of the technology behind Google. She's highly sought after as a conference speaker presenting training in-house to in-house teams throughout the U.S. around the world. She's spoken at SMX, Search engine strategies, ad tech, affiliate conference, online marketing strategies, uh, and more. So without further ado, let's get her back on the show. Cindy, thanks for joining us again for the second episode here. Hi, thank you. Um, 
I had a great time starting getting this the first episode going, and I told you that uh, I had reflected back our four years ago. We actually had our interview with you, and that's terrible. It's like a, it's like a lifetime in SEO. And as I was listening to it, I was like, oh my gosh, she was saying things that we've caught up with as an industry. Now in the in the twenties and in, in in 2022, there's a heck of a lot more focus on SERP features. Google is certainly presenting such a dynamic environment in its in its SERP environment that it's hard to keep track of everything that's new. I mean, Barry's earning his stripes right now, just letting know, letting everybody know what's new, what's not. <laughs> So uh, we're all, uh, our bell's getting rung collectively of how dynamic the environment is. And it all has to do with the mobilization, the mobile first indexing and the breaking apart of pieces of, of information and Google's processing of that. And on top of that, processing different mediums as well. So I wanted to at least give that that purview of what we talked about before. Now I want to set the stage of... You, you talk about this regularly, voice search, and there's also visual search, that whole other space to be able to go into. But I want to kind of go through the pasture of voice search and what your take is on how it relates to entity SEO. Go. Yeah. So voice search, I think, has a lot to do with entity SEO. I think it um, entities make it easier for Google to understand questions and the meaning of questions and find the best answer for questions and find related questions or give more context to the answer of a question. When you understand an entity, then you understand what people most frequently would be searching for mm -hmm. um, and what their intent is related to that entity usually or what the most common intents are. The entity understanding gives Google a huge head start in being able to respond in a meaningful way quickly to a, a voice search or a voice query or a voice request. It's kind of like the front lines of consumer interaction and Google's using it to learn the the entity relationships right from the horse's mouth basically is what does it mean what does it mean what do you mean by this and every time there's an answer and you know uh, the Alexa, the Google search, all these have this pattern recognition that's getting better and better, smarter and smarter. Every time there's a wrong answer, that actually is much more information than getting the right answer to the consumer, right? When you say that there's a wrong answer, are you saying when Google crawls and finds a wrong answer that that is problematic? No, I'm saying that it actually learns more as it's giving a response back to the consumer about whether or not it was right or incorrect. That incorrect is a signal back to Google, just like just like in everything else that it's doing in measuring user intent on SERP, the voice SERP, it's in the foxhole with that consumer and it's very brief. It's kind of boiled down content. And if it's not getting it right, boy, the AI is learning much more from that type of interaction. That's where I'm going there. Yeah, I think that that could be true. Um, you know, Google even said when they first launched the Google Home Hub that they just wanted to see what people were going to search for. They literally, I think, might have used the word guinea pig for the people, first round of people who bought the Google Home Hubs because they didn't even know what people were going to ask or what people were going to want. They programmed a couple, kind of like the first iPhone, they had a couple kind of standard apps like Urban Spoon and the beer pouring thing mm -hmm. um, and some, some really basic stuff. And then they were like, what else do people search for here? And they're using that to inform what they should do next. 
and what needs to be connected and, and what's useful. So I think, yes, when there's a wrong answer, they could be listening then again for um, a restatement of the question, a refinement of the question, mm-hmm. um, or the same question posed in a different way. Yep. And I think we're already seeing Google trying to learn about those things in search results now without voice even in regular search results you're seeing a lot more refine this query broaden this query did you mean and those are all ways to understand variations of the way the same question can be asked they call it the canonical question so if i ask how long can blue cheese stay in the fridge i could also ask how long is blue cheese good when refrigerated and i can ask that a variety of different ways the answer actually doesn't change it's just the way that i'm phrasing the question so that's another reason that google had to get away from such deep adherence to keywords because those keywords strung together in different orders in that case can all mean the same thing and so they don't have to learn a new answer they just have to learn when a question is being restated and so you you get to understand this a whole lot better if you've ever played with google's chatbot creator program it's uh-huh. now called dialogue flow what they do literally is they have programmed questions and programmed responses and you can set up conditions for what would probably indicate this answer but then what you can also do is from the bot take in questions and categorize them manually and say oh this question is really the same as this question and it goes to that answer and so you um you build out an understanding of maybe it wasn't wrong we got it wrong right Mm -hmm. we just didn't understand what you were asking and so we got it right but if we look at the question and say no 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 we did know the answer we just didn't understand the way you phrased the question very well. So at some, uh, point, at some point in time, Cindy, what we're talking about here is we're not nearly as smart as we think we are, says Google, because you don't know how to actually answer, ask the right question the right way, right? In that case, it's Google learning saying maybe Google needs to, you know, build up their understanding of all the different ways that someone can ask the same question. That's right. And so I think that they were taking the original data and are still taking and classifying data when they can't give a response. They're like, gosh, we are Google. We know many things. Why could we not give a response? Um, And so if Google gets to the point where the assistant has to say, gosh, I don't know, then they probably look into those pretty deeply and they probably are using that information to plan the next kind of information build out or maybe the next kind of SEO incentivization. You know, we got a lot, they got a lot of information from what they even call speakable schema. So that's FAQ, how to and Mm -hmm. Q&A. Because you don't just yell keywords at a Google assistant, you don't just yell like, (laughs) Umbrellas. <laughs> you, you you say like, what's the best umbrella? What's the cheapest umbrella? How can I get an umbrella in red by tomorrow? And so it's usually formed as a question. So Google had to get better at understanding questions and giving answers rather than just understanding keywords and giving pages. And you so know, that, I, that I, I, absolutely. But I tell you what, there is a faction of us out there that are going against the grain, and we're we're throwing keyword Tourette's right at the speaker just to break the patterns that are happening here. Again, listeners, if you haven't come across this before, there's a tongue-in-cheek uh, running thing over the years uh, that we're training Skynet here. So the rebellion exists. So we must untrain what Google's learning because at some point in time, they will unseat us. All right, that's it for my Skynet conspiracy talk. So we're teaching it 
it's learning. It's almost like it's the most advanced version of that 20 questions little game that, that you have there. It's constantly learning based on how many questions you can give it, whether or not it's getting it right. And it's not only the keyword association and the language of which the keyword comes through. It's also the syntax. It's, what, it's the context of which, which is being asked. And I would guarantee that there is some inference of tonal quality of frustration that's also an imprint and the and language processing at the speaker level of actually trying to understand emotion as it actually binds to a wrong answer just to try to figure out how bad did we actually get it wrong yeah it could be they pr they can hear you cursing at them yes they can <laughs> all right so uh voice search is again that front line of reconnaissance and it's maturing over time it's getting better and better feedback from users because the users are now smart speaker savvy and there's such an immersion of the smart devices that are the speakers in the home but also in the car as well as on the phone the phone itself is always on it's always learning proximity transactions foot traffic that phone's with you that is a smart device that's a constant learner right well, yes, but it's more than just that. This is another thing where you can back it up and say, don't just think about the phone constantly learning and paying attention. It's your Google account that's constantly learning and paying attention. So if you're sitting at your computer in email um, or doing something, as long as you're logged into a Google property and then you pick up your phone and you're doing something over there, Google can see, are you multitasking and doing two separate things? Are you doing two things that are related? Mm -hmm. You know, you're searching about this on your computer and this on your phone and are those two concepts at all related or are you on two different channels of thought with your two devices so it's not just that they're learning from the phone they're learning and applying everything everywhere and it used to be you know that google was pretty transparent saying that they used your computer they got your computer device location from your phone and that creeps people out so they just stopped telling them <laughs> uh, but that's still how it's done um, they know where your computer is. Most computers aren't necessarily built with a GPS, so they're just approximating it with IP addresses, but it, they mm. assume that your phone is within five feet of you because statistically it always is. So they can get a pretty solid location from that. <laughs> so I said I was going to stop with a conspiracy thought, but you brought me back in, Cindy. I I <laughs> I've got mine. <laughs> What's that again? I've got more. I can make it worse. Okay. Okay. Unload it. Let's go. Well, I mean, you know, Google does want to get into the Internet of Things, and that's why I think this foray into voice is not just a temporary thing. Um, Google understands that voice and being able to communicate with technology is going to be critical for all different kinds of things. And a lot of SEOs talk about, you know, the Google Home Hub or the Nest, and they say, well, all I do is I, I ask it the timer, I have it set a timer, I ask it to play music, or I ask it if dogs can eat avocados. And, um, <laughs> And they say, well, that's not a very heavy lift for Google. But when you think about how far search has come, in the early days of search, we weren't guaranteed a great answer. And we still did have to sometimes read stuff until we got to page two to find what we were really looking for. Right. And we've just gotten so spoiled with Google being able to surface really what we want in the top three results almost every time, especially if we 
compose a good query. And most people who can't find what they want on the first half of a page will resubmit a search and assume that they're the problem rather than assuming that Google's the problem. But when we take it to voice and they say, oh, well, you know, playing XYZ song isn't a search. Well, it is. They actually had to know that that musician exists. And if you're picking a, a you know, the Beatles, that's one thing. But if you're picking a very small artist, then mm -hmm. it, maybe it is harder. And they have to find that artist and that song and find the right version of that song and know whether they should be playing the video of the song or just the audio. And do they have good copies of both? And so it is a search and, you know, turning on and off the lights. They have to find your lights in the world of lights that they know about. <laughs> <laughs> We're proud to have Site Strategics as a sponsor of Edge of the Web. We're pioneers in the agile digital marketing methodology. Core specialties that we provide are technical SEO, including core web vitals optimization, search engine marketing, social media marketing and management, focus on conversion rate optimization, truly focused on results-based marketing that works. We've also developed a unique omni-channel media marketing and content curation process as guided by our weekly R&D from our Edge of the Web interviews. We incorporate the best techniques for our content broadcast strategy and execution. If you're interested in what we can do for you, just give us a call at 877-SEO4WEB or 877-736-4932. They've ex exponentially increased their weight of just looking for intent and quality and pattern recognition of your own behavior of search. So with that Hobbesian, not Hobbesian, it was the Bayesian logic of just understanding your preference as opposed to all the others and all the different decision trees that you go down and be able to have that pattern recognition that they can bring that back to make your next search even sharper, even more oriented towards what your goals are, right? So the lift is not just the understanding of the topic, that's in its own right. It's also how that user is interacting to make it a better, better user experience. And boy, I, 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 can, well, only, I can only imagine how deep those wells go, but go ahead. If you can think back to search results before they were so knowledge graph heavy, before mobile first indexing, mm -hmm. and before Google got quite as good as they are now, the idea of being able to ask, you know, type into Google, can my dog eat an avocado and find the right answer in the first result, it would be a big ask because that's a really long query. It's not a keyword focused query. Mm -hmm. um, and they would have had to write basically exactly that question somewhere on the page. And when they returned it, so the, the, the search would be based on keywords, the return would be based on pages. And they can't get from keywords and pages to answering questions without this entity understanding and without being able to break down the pieces of a page and the concepts on a page because they would have to redo the entire page. But when they understand the concepts, they can break down and say, you know, this is a the question about dog health and what dogs can and can't eat. Or, you know, mm -hmm. then they can say the next question is normally this or that, um, People, people who ask this question often also ask this question next. All right, all right, all right. You're, you're already, you're already teasing it up to me here. And we, we over here at Site have been talking about this for a while. It's the next questions that you should ask that nobody has asked before. The predictability. We're starting to see that a couple of times as we're looking at PAAs, and you can't trust PAAs all the time because they they get it wrong. Uh, but they're still doing reconnaissance every time you interact with something. You're giving them reconnaissance on that particular PA as opposed to another. But we have started to see the prediction of a particular question that 
hasn't been answered yet, is not in the ecosystem. We're starting to see that actually in some of the pills on customer reviews where people are actually talking about things, things, right, as it applies to a particular service or product. The string of characters is nowhere near what kind of incubates up or, or bubbles up to the top as a pill of a question is, oh, well, this thing needs to be sharpened this often. So all these customers are actually reflecting on it. There's no context. There's no knowledge. There's no, well, I should say, there's no content structure that informs. It's all inferred concepts extrapolated from how people are talking about it in actual language processing. So... There's a whole other space right there that we haven't explored, and you're about to take us there, aren't you? You totally should be exploring it. And if you aren't at least playing around with Google Assistant and Google Home Hub stuff, then, you know, sort of shame on you. Because there's a lot to be learned there. And when Google's in its learning phase, it's much more transparent um, about what it needs and, and what it wants um, and how it's doing things. So, for instance, now when you do a voice search, Google is saying when it finishes reading you what it thinks is the answer, it says, would you like more context? if it thinks that there might be more context that you might want. And if you say yes, then it'll read you the paragraphs, you know, before and after what it just read you to give you more context. Or it'll say, other people search for this related topic. Would you like to hear that answer too? And uh, they're so good. Often when I do it, the answer is yes, in both cases. Mm -hmm. um, and they can tell, you know, they can tell with a level of confidence, I gave them the answer they need, they got enough or, we are not sure we gave them all the information they need. Maybe they want more of an answer, more context. And so they have this decision tree of we gave them enough. It's probably good enough. To, we can move on to another question or um, we're not sure. Let's verify. So just understanding that that's how Google is has the information mapped already to do that. They already know the next question and they already have an idea of some metric of success or ambiguity of whether or not the answer was what the person wanted hmm. um, or generally what people want. And so there's a lot already there. You would really be surprised. And I think that it's only a matter of time. So so in one of my presentations, not the one um, that, that you were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. but in one of them, I do an example where I ask the Google Assistant, how long can blue cheese stay in the refrigerator? And it tells me, da, 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 average this. And then it says, a lot of people ask, how long can blue cheese stay in the refrigerator if it's not opened? Would you like to hear that answer too? Well, yes, I haven't even opened that stuff. You know, <laughs> I think that what we're going to see next is Google saying, that blue cheese is too old. Don't eat that. It's gross. Would you like us to order you some more blue cheese? Yep. Because they have it in, in Google Shopping. Having Google Shopping and the connection to the smart devices, the, the Internet of Things in which... You'll be moving through all the sensory apparatus for Google to know when you're shopping, what you're shopping for. If they make it easy enough for you to be able to interact in that space, then it's just that more quickly that they're going to be able to let you know that that, that particular product has expired. If they make it amiable, useful enough, right, and kind of break down the, the creepiness factor – if they're in this space, then they're going to be able to share a heck of a lot of information, not only to you, you're the guinea pig, remember that. Who benefits from this? The consumers, but also the advertisers, right? The consumers, the advertisers, and then Google as a whole, right? Because if I end up saying, yes, order me some more blue cheese, then what does that mean for other people who are selling blue cheese but not selling it on Google Shopping? They're just not in the picture there. Right. 
Um, and so it builds up the platforms that Google wants to build up, because if you think about Google from a competitive standpoint, who's their biggest competitor right now? Who? Who? Uh, the, the, the rest of the world. <laughs> so in my mind, the biggest competitor to Google is Amazon. Okay, very I good. used to start shopping for things in Google because I figured Google would know where it is, but now I know Amazon has basically everything and ships it to me for free. Why don't I just start there? Mm -hmm. Because they're gonna have you know a good enough price and free shipping, whereas I have to go through all the checkout process to find out how much I'm paying for shipping and da da da. You know what a pain. Right. So right. I think that Google's biggest threat right now is Amazon, and so what Google needs to do is take them out of the equation in a clever way where users don't feel the loss. And I think that this is going to be something that they try to do using a voice assistant or something like that, a, maybe a voice assistant on the refrigerator or mm -hmm. in the pantry, or, you know, they've tried a lot of different variations, but if they had the free shipping um, or membership or whatever, why wouldn't I say, yes, send, you know, order me more blue cheese? Right. Absolutely. Answering the questions, giving you more information. On top of that, even giving you a better product. Hey, you ordered this. Consumers are actually really recommending this. Now you're in that lifestyle, quality of life improvement. Then you start trusting Google even further because every time you, it makes a recommendation, even discounts the product to be able to get it in front of you. Now you're dealing with, hey, oh, piece of candy. Hey, piece of candy. Hey, piece of candy. The users are going to trust even more because the long game is what Google's going to be playing here. They'll discount products. I mean, they'll make it so easy to transition over to be able to get you addicted to that process as opposed to, I mean, the preamble was Amazon and how well Amazon has actually made it easy to shop. I mean, I'm literally ordering toilet paper off of Amazon because it's too complicated to go down the street to the grocery store. That's a, yep. that's a pathetic statement. I'm saying it here publicly. It was terrible for me to re recognize that and made that decision. It's like, oh my gosh, it's right down the street. Nope. I'm too busy. It was delivered here in hours. Yeah, yeah, it's so much less friction, and that's what users want. Well, I, no, I got, I got the uh, the sandpaper toilet paper. It was a bit frictioned. <laughs> Maximize your clients' budgets using Wix. Use every dollar towards growth and revenue-driving assets by relying on Wix's enterprise-grade security and reliability. Work more efficiently using Wix's SEO automation and scalable SEO solutions to deliver sustainable results without vulnerabilities, downtime, and workflow inefficiencies for any website of any size. Fix less, grow more with Wix. Go over to edgeofthewebradio.com forward slash Wix today to learn more. Yeah, it, it's, it's that place in which as soon as it's the Overton window, we keep on sliding over to this level of technology that's going to be permeating all of existence here. Again, I'm not trying to get really, really nihilistic here, but there's a transaction that we're making for all of this. Now, let's pivot around here to how we're talking about all this. And then our final stop along the way is Google Mom. Our listeners have, if, if, if they've been a longtime listener for Edge, we talked about Mom a lot. That's the multi-unified modal process, right? Uh, it's multi-touch, I think, unified um, 
Hold on, I have it written here. <laughs> multitask. I always miss that se- second word. It's multitask unified model, but I always do end up saying, you know, it's it does seem like it's very much multimedia. Yeah, exactly. Um, as well, but yeah, multi something unified model, and the something is task technically. All right, so we got there. So the immersion of different mediums. And also combine the portability of the mobile device as well and the cross-device type of uh, cross-platform environment here. You're the user. You're going to be experiencing your own pattern, your own preference of digital consumption as you interact. Every query is going to have so many different points of personal patternization, but also intent-laden understanding of if you're going up a mountain like the example is out there. What are you wanting to do, right? And if you're looking for shoes, then then you have an entire transaction intent as opposed to trying to see which mountain is the highest mountain. And that's a rudimentary concept, but take us down the path here. Uh, we have fractionalized content. We've got functions as a service environment here. This SERP is changing, and we've already seen infinite scroll. That was actually, it has already started, but right before that, Google rolled out a huge amount of new imagery in the mobile environment and then rolled out infinite scroll, pun intended. So with that, you're the Sherpa here. Tell, uh, take us up the mountain of Mum. Yeah, so Mum is, I think, going to be a big part of the future of Google. And it's largely based on entity understanding. It couldn't happen without entity understanding. So the you give the example that Google gives where they talk about they're going to climb Mount Fuji. And so immediately when Google sees Mount Fuji, it understands that that's an entity and it knows lots about it. It knows facts and it has maps and it has pictures and it has travel plans and hotels near Mount Fuji and all those things. And so it says, I know a lot about that. And it tries to filter out what kind of Mount Fuji thing do you want or what what do you want related to Mount Fuji? And if it sees that you're planning a trip, then it can know that your next couple of queries are probably going to be from a certain set of queries and uh, a certain set of maybe like canonical kinds of questions to say, okay, so likely they'll next ask this, then they'll need a flight, then they'll need hotels, and then they actually need a real Sherpa uh, to help them up Mount Fuji. (laughs) I don't know. And so it's kind of like saying they're making a profile of this, this process where it's like, this is Cindy's investigation into this topic, and this is what we know that she's looking for, and this is what we're not sure, so we should get add filter bubbles and stuff like that to figure out which way is she going to go? Is she, is she on a budget or is she a big spender? You know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where it's the multitask where it's saying, I know this and this from those two things, I'm going to say this. And I think the multitask plays out in a number of ways. We can combine two tasks into one query, or we can combine multiple tasks into a query process or what they would call a journey. Um, And um, already actually in Chrome, you can go find your journeys where Google is classifying. I I bet you didn't know this. No. Find how Google is classifying all your different queries and see if they're getting it right. So like when I I was getting ready for Oktoberfest and I wanted to buy a new Durndal. So there was that, but then there was also looking at some travel maps and flights. And so is it understanding that all of those things are related or is it like Cindy wants a dress and happens to be going to Germany? Is it they think they're separate? Huh. 
And so you can see that in your own history of how is Google classifying your journeys and are they getting it right or wrong? And that's in its infantile stages, I would say, or it seems to be from what I can see. Uh, they might take offense to me saying it's <laughs> but it's young and it's growing. Uh -huh. And so that's the way that Google wants to move forward. And you realize that mobile first indexing was the precipice to all of this. If we believe that mobile first indexing is where they switched over to entity oriented indexing or entity first indexing and entity understanding and the topic layer, mm -hmm. they couldn't have done any of the voice search. They couldn't have done this multitask uh, modeling without breaking things out of pages and keywords into entities. And so it all starts to make sense. But if perhaps you're someone who's still struggling to separate entities and keywords, I'll give you an example. So at about the same time that Google started talking about mom, they also started talking about what they call multi-search. And, you know, maybe it's a coincidence that they both have multi in the name, but multi-search does seem to be all about mom, at least in my understanding, because they're doing entity-based searches to surface answers. And so the example they give in their write-up is someone using an image of a dress, of a woman wearing a dress, and say, searching for this, but in green, mm -hmm. the original one's orange. And... So what has to happen there is Google has to understand that she's not talking about the woman's hair, right? right? She's talking about the dress. And so it has to hone in on the dress, get the, the vital stats on the dress. Does it have sleeves? Is it, is it long? Is it short? You know, does it have a belt? What are the things going on in this one? And then be able to surface that in green or whatever. And the same thing too, you know, that keyword, the only thing they typed was in green. It didn't have the word dress in it at all. That was an image that Google had to make a leap <laughs> and say, I think she wants the dress. Right. Um, and if the, maybe the picture was too zoomed out and she had shoes and a dress, it might say, did you want the shoes or the dress in green? I could say that would be the next level of disambiguation when we get into a multi-search kind of scenario. Um, but think about another example they give is a picture, someone submits a picture of a piece of a bike, a bike part, well, an assembled bike, mm -hmm. and says how to fix. There's no keyword there. And there are many <laughs> things that we can fix. So Google has to understand you're not just saying how to fix a bike, you're saying how, how to fix this specific part of the bike. And it may have to disambiguate and say, well, in this you know, picture, I see the chassis and the chain and the gear shifter. Which one are you trying to fix? And so it's kind of like trying to take you into a wizard of decision trees um, and next questions. And so I think that that's where Google's going to go. But then they're also, they've been hammering hard on this concept of at any point in the journey. And they, they really love using the word journey. And I think that what is going to start to happen, I think that there's something there. It, it's very curious that they keep talking about the journey as an ongoing thing that brands need to care about the journey. Well, why? I think that what Google sees as part of a problem that they want to solve is that brands care about the journey up, up and until they sell the product and then they don't care as much. <laughs> and so I think Google is going to start pushing harder on follow-up from brands mm -hmm. on not just how do I buy the right hiking shoes, but how do I hike with these shoes, maintain these shoes, mm -hmm. upgrade these shoes, you know, make them last longer, stuff like that. Or how do I, for instance, I bought a grill, a camping grill this year. 
And I was putting it together and the, the instructions were absolutely atrocious and meaningless. It was like building something from Ikea, but worse. And, <laughs> and with fire, you know, potential for fire. So, and my hands were like wrapped around this grill with a screw and a screwdriver trying to reach some little bitty thing. And a, one of the pieces wasn't the right size. And so I figured this is a perfect time to use voice search. Mm-hmm. And so I yelled at the assistant to show me a video of how to assemble this grill. And I had the box. So I read, blah, blah, how do I assemble the grill? So that would have been a great experience if the video didn't exist. Right. There were assembly videos of other grills by that brand um, or assembly videos that skipped the part that I was on with the piece that seemed to be broken. And so, and the question was pretty specific. How do I assemble this part, the starter part of this grill? So they don't have it. And so that's, I think, where Google is going to push SEOs to go next is not just helping people buy the product, but supporting the product after the fact Mm -hmm. um, and in its everyday use. Um, And they'll couch it in terms of the environment and not walking away from materialism and, and having to constantly order. We don't want you to constantly be spending money. We want you to spend money on the right thing and, and get it right and keep it forever. And I think that they they might take some moral high ground away from Amazon if they did that. Awesome. I don't know if they'll do that, but that's my best guess right now of why they're pushing so hard on that a purchase and a journey are not the same thing. Let me tell you a little bit about our new sponsor, SE Ranking. SE Ranking is a cloud-based platform that offers a comprehensive set of tools for SEO and online marketing professionals. Their platform includes a site audit, competitor analysis, website ranking, keyword suggestion and grouping, backlink monitoring, automated and professional reporting, and much, much more. As a new sponsor of Edge of the Web, we want to share who they are and what they're offering. We have a contest. It's the SE Rankings Checklist Challenge. If you complete the challenge, you'll get one month of the Pro 1000 subscription for free. So go to edgeofthewebradio.com forward slash SE ranking. You'll get a free use of the pro level software package for two weeks. And here's what you have to do to complete the checklist. Create a project, add at least five keywords, find five competitors via the competitive research tool and add them to your my competitor section. Run a website audit and show what issue you're going to fix. Do a backlink check and upload your backlinks to the backlink monitoring tool, add any page to the page changes monitor that's in the website audit section and show the graphs of history of changes. Send your screenshots of completion of these steps to the email that you'll receive when signing up and you'll receive a full month of Pro 1000 service. And one Edge listener will get a full year business package. We'll announce that on our February 14th podcast. Not kidding around, this is a $2,500 value. So go over to edgeofthewebradio.com forward slash SE ranking to sign up now. You see, they're going to reward brands that actually not only do follow up, but support and even offer assistance in certain spaces of a, this product's not working for you. Let us help you do something more for you and have that somehow digitally documented so you, that you can see the full extent of the journey as opposed to just where the transaction leaves off. Are, are, are we in that space where the feedback loop is going? I mean, we're already seeing as anecdotally just from the merchants transactions itself, we're seeing data come through of how timely shipments are. I mean, and that's 
pretty simple, all things being equal for what Google can actually uh, uh, be able to view, but just having an understanding of how the merchants interacting with the consumer and how on time they are, that's a, an additional factor of consumer confidence that they can start building. And if they can persuade brands to go even further into that level of follow-up and customer support, it all still revolves back around to trusting Google more, right? Yeah, exactly. Trusting Google more is at the core of everything. And so I think that, that what is also going to happen, what that pushes people towards is it pushes people more towards really having a meaningful brand account in YouTube hmm. and populating YouTube with all of their tutorial videos. And that way, you cut some steps out for Google, like a lot of steps, because if you upload the video directly in their platform, they don't have to crawl your website and look for it. They have it already and they know that they can serve it in a really fast way and your server is kind of iffy, but they know theirs is good. So they'll serve it from there. And I think that that's another trend that I'm seeing a lot of is that in the breakup of the website where things aren't looked at as entirety of one page at a time, but they're right. pieces at a time, I think that Google is also, um, even sort of breaking down the concept of the website as a whole. Why do I need to go to your website if I already know I want a video and you don't have videos in your nav? That's frustrating. But if I go to YouTube and search for the video I want from your brand and it's there, yay, that's where videos live is YouTube, you know? And so I think that they're trying to get webmasters now to just feed them the information directly. Put your videos in YouTube, put your products in Merchant Center, put your business locations in Google Business Profile. Right. Um, and everything else, mark up with schema, and we'll figure out another way to lift it later. <laughs> so, again, that's the furtherance of we're no longer going to be tethered to our websites. Our digital brand is all-encompassing all the different digital assets. You've got to fuel the knowledge graph from controllable areas of content, but you also have to service the needs of the users as Google sees them on the digital platforms that it's training its users to trust. Yes, but also think about, you know, Google says that, and I believe that they're not using Google Analytics data to inform anything. They just give you your data and they don't actually look at your analytics data. Fine, great, yay. But they want that data. It's not that they don't want it. So if you put your video on your website, Google doesn't know if it's a good video or not. But if they if you put it on YouTube, they have engagement data right away and sure. they can say that video people like it and i'm gonna rate this one over the same video on your site because i know the engagement metrics for this one got it got it well there's so much here cindy we're gonna have to pull you back around to another conversation to unpack this you're the prognosticator of digital evolution here and i'm going to Deem you that because of what I saw just in the in the uh, the, the pre work or the workup of this interview here. You're not doing the churn nearly as much as when you actually roll out concepts. You've thought through them. You've actually unpacked a lot in a very short period of time here, and keep that going because we need that type of investment here. And you're honestly. You're ahead of the curve here regularly, and we certainly do appreciate you being on the show and sharing this information with our audience. Is there any last thing that you want to give to our audience of what's to come in the future? I'm just going to I'm going to give you that. Yeah, I do think that things are probably going to get more personalized and more device specific. For instance, I do think that Google does have a knowledge graph on every one of us that has an account, or at least on every account, and they're going to start 
you know, testing, leveraging our personal preferences. They've tested it before. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that we'll see more diversity in search results. And I think that we will probably continue to um, see this rapid fire algorithm change stuff. I think that's how it is now. I think that the way that the old index was organized uh, made updates big and arduous. And when you tokenize or fractionize an index in the same way as everything else, it gives you a higher ability to be nimble. And I think that that's we're seeing that come out in all of the algorithm changes from this summer. Um, how many are we at? 20. Oh my and so I think that they're able to do more iterative updates also. So thinking about how and where Google is going to leverage this. And then the other thing is thinking about how and, and where Google is leveraging their own AI to do things that might displace you. For instance, the big example that, that everyone freaked out about was when Google rewrote the Wikipedia knowledge graph information to, about Paris. Mm -hmm. And they did it about London as well. Right. Um, right. Google can basically say, we know everything and this is common knowledge. We don't actually have to quote you, Wikipedia. Thank you very much. But we can get a lot of information about London without, you know, by by reading lots of places and we'll make our own content. And so I think that's the other big risk is how long does Google have to show things and give attribution until Google's like, this is common knowledge. We don't, we're not <laughs> going to quote anyone. We're just going to AI write this ourselves. Yeah, that's what everybody's kind of pissed off about. There's a lot of things people are pissed off about. <laughs> well, uh, again, thank you so much. And, you know, never lose faith because you're fighting the good fight and sharing great information. And and if somebody yells from the uh, audience that .mobi is a thing, right, you obviously have proven them wrong over time. And you're, abs you're absolutely on the right track here. We're entity SEO, folks. Keywords are a thing of the past, and you must get into the space of understanding what Google knows about what things and be able to optimize towards that. Some great steerage concepts here. We certainly want to give you a shout-out regarding your products. So you got some new Google Chrome extensions, but uh, let's talk about Mobile Moxie real quick, okay? Yeah, I love Mobile Moxie. It's my passion. That's um, okay. Yeah, so I started it in 2008, and we now have three sets of tools. We have one that's about uh, search results, lets you see search results from anywhere in the world on a bunch of different devices mm -hmm. and live real time. And so it's great for comparing what you see in your analytics versus reality. Or if you're doing local SEO and you're like, what else is ranking when I search for when I'm you know, at this address or in this city, and you can actually see that. Then we also have a tool that will do that and then capture an image of the search result over time so you can see how it's changing mm -hmm. um, and parse it. So it'll see your website went here and it, took, it does pixels from the top and percent of SERP because you can claim things and you can be like, this is me, this is me, this is me. And those might be your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your Twitter and your main site and a review of your site on another website and a write-up you know, where you're in a top 10 list. I think that that's the new SEO as well, is that it's more diffuse. It's more spread across different places. Mm -hmm. You can own things by being lots of places. And so being able to track that and say, okay, these are all me and let's see where they go and how long they stay and how much percent of SERP I own and, you know, how hard is it? We have scores that are like, how hard is it to beat Google out of this one? Like how googly is this search result? <laughs> um, with, like knowledge graph and like, 
inclusions everywhere. Um, so that one is called the SERP Datalyzer. And then we have the Pagescope and the Page Datalyzer. The Pagescope lets you test landing pages from any location, which is great if you're in e-commerce internationally and you're switching in different shipping or uh, currencies or whatever. You can test and make sure all that's working on mobile and desktop and it's interactive phone. You can click around and, and even convert if you want to. And then same thing on the Datalyzer. We capture that page and all the code mm -hmm. rendered and unrendered under time, over time. And we let you do um, diff checking. So let's say you see a drop happen in your analytics and it started two weeks ago and you're just noticing it today. Number one, you should go and see, did something change in the search result? Mm -hmm. you know, we're in the same ranking position, but maybe there's a knowledge graph where there's something pushing us down now. So we're Absolutely. getting But then same thing on your page. You know, did something happen two weeks ago on our page? Let's compare rendered code from two weeks ago to rendered code from today and see like what's changed. Did someone delete our schema again? Stuff like that, because it definitely happens if you're working with big teams, things go missing in the code. And so this helps you identify when did that code change? Um, wow. What did it look like before? What does it look like now? And we we pull out all the important SEO stuff, canonicals and da da da, but we also just give you the code um, and let you do diff checking over time or between device, show me what's different between mobile and desktop rendering of the page, diff check that. So it's pretty cool tools. And then the other tools are about uh, apps. We can't forget apps, but honestly, we're going to have to have apps, uh, app optimization for another show. Uh, Cindy, wealth of information. Thank you so much for sharing. And, and honestly, uh, I am sorry that we haven't had you on here earlier. We, we will rectify the situation shortly. <laughs> thanks so much for your contributions. And thanks for doing what you've been doing for such a long time as well. Thank you. Ditto. You're more than welcome. More than welcome. All right. All that said, make sure that you check out the first episode of the Cindy Crumb interview uh, that we did here in November 2022. Uh, and also check back the previous one because <laughs> it's it's amazing. She's consistent and she's been she's been the soothsayer here for a while. Make sure you listen to the uh, first part as well as follow Cindy on uh, Twitter at Sussex. That's S-U-Z-Z-I-C-S. And follow us on Twitter at Edge Web Radio. Thanks to our sponsors. Make sure you knock on their door and let them, let them know that you heard us over at Edge. And uh, make sure that you see all the videos and all the content that we're pushing out on a regular basis. Go over to edgeofthewebradio.com to be able to see everything. Also, go to all the show notes and all the links that we reference on the shows. Hey, you know what? We'd love to have you rate this show as well. So if you go over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash edge today, you can let us know how we've done on this show, how, how we've done on some other shows as well. We'd love to listen to you. love to hear from you and get some feedback. But on top of that, that helps us in the algorithm and be able to get in front of people that haven't heard us before. So from all of us over Edge, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay well, and do not be a piece of cyber driftwood. We will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.